Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Thanking you so much for joining us today, and I'm looking forward to sharing some great things from God's Word. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're in a campaign called Believe. And uh, the first part of this campaign, we talked about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the love that God has for us. We talked about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And then the second part of the campaign, we talked about the fact that you can indeed have a personal relationship with God. And I'm so glad for that. I'm so thankful that God reveals himself to us. And uh, although he is the creator and the sustainer of all things, he knows the very hairs that are numbered on your head. And now for some of us, that's not a big problem, but for others, uh, that's a problem. But I want you to know that God knows everything about you because he created you. And not only does he love you, man, he really likes you. He is fond of you. So today we want to talk about what about this subject about salvation? I know there's a little phrase in the Bible that appears 44 times in the King James Version of the Bible. Just two words, but God. And so we're going to talk about those two words today as we look at Ephesians chapter 2. But before we go to the text, let me share with you a wonderful gift that I received. You know, Valentine's Day was just a few days ago. And uh, my wife got me a wonderful gift. And, uh, you know, we were out driving around uh, not too long ago, and uh, we live in the mega metropolis of Moyoc. And uh, our little town is growing, and we don't have a whole lot of things in Moyoc, but we do have, you know, a grocery store, a couple of restaurants, and a couple of traffic lights, and new people are moving into our little community all the time. It's a rural community. Uh, it's uh, down there at the south end of Chesapeake. And uh, we really enjoy living there. We've been uh, living in Moyoc for over 25 years. And our kids were raised in that little community in Currituck County. And, uh, and so with all these new houses that are being built in our community, the county decided to build a park. And it's a beautiful little park. And I heard about this park and uh, the caregivers who watch over my son, Seth, uh, they've been taking him over there. And so I said, I want to go check out this place. And uh, maybe it's a place that I can go for a little walk. And so we went there. And uh, as we're driving through there, we noticed they had a court out there. And it kind of looked like a, a, a tennis court, but it was a little bit smaller than a tennis court. And the nets were a little bit shorter. And the court was a little bit smaller. And I, I said to my wife, now, now what, is, what in the world is that? And, uh, and she says, well, that's a pickleball court. And I said, oh, that's great. That looks like a lot of fun. I says, what is, it looks like a little bit like tennis. And uh, she said, well, I think it's like a combination of kind of like table tennis and tennis. And, uh, and she says, it's designed for more older people, right? Uh, who can't run it up and down a full court of a tennis court. And I said, man, that looks like a whole lot of fun. And I said, I think I'm going to pick up pickleball, right? And I never heard of the game and, and never knew a whole lot about it. And so on Valentine's, you know, I open up uh, this, this gift that my wife gives me for Valentine's Day. You know what's in that thing? Uh, there is a, a little thing with two rackets in there, two pickleball rackets and uh, some pickleballs in there and the rules for the game. Now, when I got this gift, I said, man, this is wonderful. And, uh, and then I got thinking about that. Now, why did my wife give me this, uh, this gift? What was she trying to say? I love you, and I think you'll really enjoy playing pickleball. Or, uh, or, or maybe she was thinking, man, this would be a great way for us as a couple to get together and, and play pickleball together and, uh, you know, maybe get another couple to join us and, uh, you know, do some things together with another couple. And so it might be a really good way for us to bond together. And then I got thinking, well, well maybe, uh, maybe uh, she gave me this gift thinking, honey, 
Uh, you know, you're getting a little chubby. And it's time to work that flab off. So let's play some pickleball. Uh, and, and so I, I don't know what the real reason for why she gave me that gift. I, I think it's because she really loved me. But, but you know, knowing my wife uh, and, and just knowing our relationship, I, I got to say, there's a bit of, of sarcasm in our relationship. And so she might have been saying in a subtle way uh, that you do need to get out there and lose a little bit of weight. Uh, and so she gave me this lovely gift. And uh, so I don't, although I don't know all the motivations for why she gave me this gift, I'm really thankful for it. And, uh, you know, when you think about gifts that God gives us, uh, the very best gift that we could ever receive is the gift of salvation. You know, salvation is a free gift that you can't work for it. Uh, you don't deserve it. It's because of God's mercy. And uh, and if you have received uh, this free gift of salvation, uh, don't worry about all of the motivations as to why God did this uh, and gave you this gift. I mean, it is out of purely God's love for us. You know, he didn't do it for any other reason. Uh, he didn't redeem us and bring us salvation because he needed something to do because he was bored. Uh, there wasn't an empty spot in his heart. Oh, man, I just got to have a relationship with these people. I'm so lost without them. No, no he didn't need anything. Uh, our God doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so today I want to look at this subject of salvation. You know, way back in 2015, uh, there was a picture of a dress. And uh, this dress went all over the Internet. And I wish I could show it to you, but since we're on radio, it's going to be, I won't be able to show it to you. But I've got it sitting right here in front of me on my laptop. And this is a dress uh, that caused a lot of controversy because the question was asked with this dress, what color is this dress? Well, some people responded, well, it's obvious that this is a black and blue dress. But others were just as adamant when they said, no, 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 this is a gold and white dress. You see, when you look at it, uh, if you look at it at first, it looks like it's gold and white. But if you look at it for a long time, it kind of does look like there is some black and some blue to it. So what is the true color of this dress? Well, I guess the world may never know. As a matter of fact, they did a lot of research and they discovered that there's certain different cultures that don't really see the color blue and they don't even have a word for the color blue. And so they automatically thought that the dress was gold and white. Uh, but there's others who uh, looked at it and said, no, no, I immediately see the blue. I, I think it's all a matter of how our eyes have been trained. You know, when it comes to spiritual things, your eyes must be trained to see spiritual things. As somebody who came to me one time and says, well, you know, I don't see God anywhere. And I responded to them. I said, well, I don't not see God anywhere. I, say, I see him everywhere. You see, it's a matter of perspective. It all depends what you're looking for. When we think of Ephesians chapter 2, it's a wonderful chapter. There are two central themes in verses 1 through 10. Theme number one is that God has a plan for you. That's the most important part. That's found in verses 4 through 10. But the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 talks about Satan's plan for us. There are five things that we're going to take out of this chapter Three of these things all of us will experience. The last two things not everyone will experience, but I hope that you will experience it. But let's pick it up. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul is writing and he says, You were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of all of mankind. Uh, so we look here and we see that, first of all, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We weren't good people that just needed to be resuscitated. We were dead people because of our sin. We were following a course, a course of this world, and we were being led by the prince of the power of the air. That is the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. Now, I want you to know that before you became a follower of Christ, you were a son of disobedient. Paul says we all once lived in that passion of our flesh, and we carried out these desires in our minds and in our bodies because we were children of wrath, like all of humanity. So there's three things that we all experience. Number one, we experience the fact that we are dead. Verse number one. Number two, we experience the fact that we are drifting. We're following the wrong course. And now listen, you never drift into a right direction. Uh, if you're cruising down the highway right now and you're beginning to drift out of your lane, somebody's going to honk at you, right? Because you don't drift into the right direction. You usually drift into catastrophe. It's a slow process. Oftentimes, you don't even realize you're drifting until it's too late. So we were dead, verse number one, in our trespasses and sin. Number two, we're drifting. Uh, we kind of got behind the enemy, and we just started following him, the prince and the power of this earth. And then number three, the verse it says that we were doomed. Just like the rest of the mankind, we were children of wrath. Now, this is some really bad information, right? And the result of that, if we die doomed, if we die without Christ, we will be eternally separated from him in hell. So these are three things that everybody has in common. We all are dead in our sins. We all are drifting. We're all doomed, right? The wrath of God is going to fall upon mankind. But then there's a little phrase that I want to put in that we find in verse number four, those two little words, but God. And let's read the rest of the text, right? Here's some really good news. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, and you are raised up with him, and you are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, I just love this phrase, but God, but for the grace of God, right? Uh, but for his mercy, because he loved us, he has given us a wonderful gift. We were supposed to be doomed. We were supposed to be separated from him forever. Verse number seven says, so that in the coming of ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, that is such a powerful statement. Verse number eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is a gift from God, not of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which Christ prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All made possible because of two words, but God. 
You know, throughout the Bible, I have found that little phrase 44 times in the King James Version of the Bible, but God. Well, let me look at just a few of these today, and I hope this will encourage you today. You know, in the Old Testament, there is a guy by the name of Abimelech. As a matter of fact, there are four Abimelechs in the Bible. The first time we read of Abimelech, he was a king. And in Genesis chapter 20, we discover that Abraham went to King Abimelech uh, with his wife, Sarah. And Abraham needed some help, and so he thought, well, maybe this king can help us as we journey. Well, he knew that King Abimelech was a wicked king, and he also was worried that he might kill Abraham so that he could have Abraham's beautiful wife, Sarah. So Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, I tell you what we're going to do, honey. When we go before the king, I'm not going to tell him that you're my wife because, you know, you're a beautiful lady. And when he sees you, he will probably kill me so he can get to you and have you. So I'm going to say that you are my sister. And so that's what Abraham did. He lied and says that Sarah was his sister. Oh, Abimelech saw Sarah and she was beautiful. And uh, so he took her. He says, well, since it's your sister, I'd like to have her. And, uh, and King Abimelech went ahead and took Sarah, and he was ready to have a relationship with her. But all of a sudden, we learn in Genesis chapter number 20, verse number 3, this little phrase, but God. But God intervened and came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman that you have taken. She is a married woman. Oh, God intervened. And Abimelech said to God, well, I didn't know that she belonged to Abraham. Uh, please don't uh, hold this against me. And uh, we discovered that that Old Testament king uh, was given God's grace uh, by this dream that prohibited him from having this adulterous relationship with Sarah. Well, there's another place that those two little words appear, but God. And we go to the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 21. You know, Jacob was, uh, his name means deceiver or supplanter, uh, but then later in his life, he had a name change, and God calls him Israel. In Genesis chapter 31, verse number 7, it says that Jacob worked, and he worked so hard, and uh, he found a young lady that, that he was very fond of. He looked at Rebecca and said, she is wonderful. Let me go to her dad and see if I can have her hand in marriage. Well, old Laban, he was an old scoundrel. And Laban says, well, certainly you can have my daughter, Rebecca. But, you know, there's this custom that we have, and, and you've got you've to work for her, okay? Uh, there's a dowry that must be paid, and I'd be happy to give her to you, but you've got to work for me for, for seven years. How's that sound, Jacob? And Jacob says, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. She is so beautiful. And, uh, and the Bible says that those seven years flew by awful fast and uh, because he was so in love with Rebecca. And it seemed like it was just a snap of the finger. No seven years were over. And we discovered that Jacob's about to get married. And lo and behold, what happens? Laban does a bait and switch. Jacob discovers he hasn't married Rebecca. He's married the younger or the older sister, Leah. And so he goes back. And so he works again for another seven years, this time to get Rebecca. Oh, what a story it is. I tell you what, that is a fascinating story. And uh, we discover here that God intervenes and Jacob, who was deceived by Laban, by having his wages changed 10 times, could have been filled with resentments. He was deceived. As a matter of fact, Laban changed his wages 10 times. 10 times he changed the terms of the deal, right? But it says, but God. But God suffered him not to harm me. You see, Jacob saw in the middle of all that, that God was protecting him, 
even in the midst of a scoundrel of a father-in-law. But God suffered no harm to him. Well, there's another little character I'd like to look at that's a well-known character in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph, as you know, was a guy that was sold into bondage. And and, uh, Joseph, man, he just loved the Lord and he had special favor with his father. I remember his dad made him that coat of many colors. And Joseph was not loved by his brothers. As a matter of fact, one day decided to to betray him and threw him in a pit and finally sold him into slavery and uh, lied about him and did all kinds of things bad to him. Uh, he spent some time in prison, and, and uh, Joseph spent a whole lot of time being falsely accused of things. And, and Joseph could have taken revenge on his betraying brothers who lied about him, betrayed him, and sold him into slavery. But we discover in Genesis chapter 15, uh, but God, another but God statement, uh, you meant all this for evil, but God... He meant it for good, to bring about past as it is in this day, to save much people alive. You see, see, God had to get Joseph in the right place to save Egypt from starvation. And not only to save Egypt from starvation, but also to save the people of Israel. You know, you may be going through such a hard time right now. You say, I can't understand this. I feel like I've been betrayed. I feel like I've been forsaken. I do good to people and and they take advantage of me. But I want you to know there's a but God in your life. But God who is rich in mercy will allow you to be protected in those times of people coming against you. You see, the story is always bigger than just you and me. You know, many years ago, uh, we were about year 20 in our church and I was was having a hard time. It seems like people were coming against me and I wasn't sure which direction to go. And and it seems like the more I try to fix something, the worse it got. You ever been in that situation? Now you try to fix something and you just make it worse, and that's what was happening. And finally, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to keep on preaching, keep on teaching, keep on doing what God's called me to do. And, and, uh, and all these accusations, these false accusations, uh, they're going to have to be handled by the Lord because I can't spend all of my time chasing them. You see, God showed up. He protected me through that time, and he'll do the same thing for you. Well, there's another but God phrase uh, in Exodus chapter 13. And this is a wonderful story. You know this story as well. This is the story of the fact that God is going to use Moses, and God's going to use Moses to free the people of Israel. Uh, They were wandering through the wilderness. They were freed from Egyptian bondage. And then all of a sudden, you know the story, they come up to the Red Sea, and they begin to grumble. Now, I don't know how Moses did it, Moses uh, was the meekest man that ever walked the face of the earth, and I guess you had to be meek dealing with those ornery Israelites as they were being freed and they were wandering around the wilderness. It seems like God always provided for them and they always complained. Uh, I guess uh, we kind of had the same problem ourselves. Uh, We tend to, to complain often, don't we? But we discover in this story, as they're up against that Red Sea, but God was there God leads them through this wilderness. He leads them up into the Red Sea. And then God provides the parting of the Red Sea. Listen, God always will step in at just the right moment. There's always a but God moment in your life. There's another but God moment in the story of Samson. You know, Samson was quite a a character. He's one of the judges. And, uh, you know, my heart kind of goes out for Samson on one hand. And then uh, on the other hand, I I see uh, that he really made some really poor choices and and he had a hard time controlling himself. Anybody here listening have a hard time controlling yourself? And and you just can't help yourself. You just constantly give in to the passions of the flesh. And and that's what Samson had a problem with. 
And the Samson, he, he saw the Philistines and he was set aside as a as a Nazarite, and, and uh, God from birth had set him aside to be a Nazarite, and, and his birth was, was a miraculous birth, and his mom couldn't have children, and God blessed his mom and finally said, okay, I'm going to open up your womb, and, and Samson was born. Well, as Samson got older, he began to drift. He began to compromise on the Nazarite vow, and you know, the Nazarite vow said that he could not have his hair cut, and he couldn't touch a dead body, whether it be a man or an, an animal, and and uh, and so he had to separate himself from others, and and so he he took this Nazarite vow, and and he did pretty good until he was looking out on the horizon one day, and he saw the Philistines, and he and he lusted after the life of the Philistines. You know, the Philistines, they were quite a, a people, and they were very advanced in civilization, and we just did a study on the Philistines uh, the other night in our our Bible study, and. You know, we used to think, or I used to think, uh, that the Philistines were a barbaric, backward kind of people. Well, they were right across the plain from the Israelites. And the Israelites were kind of really the backward people at this time in history. And, and uh, they were the ones kind of living in poverty, the Israelites were. And, and many of the Israelites would look over the plain and they would see the Philistines. And, and they were strategically located, the Philistines were, so that every time you passed through the wilderness, you saw this wonderful civilization and these beautiful buildings, and they were very advanced. And so Samson saw that. And so he said to his mom and dad one day, I want to I find me a wife and I want to go down to the Philistines because, you know, uh, those women are, are much more cultured and uh, much more advanced than the Israelite women. And, and they're much more beautiful uh, than the Israelite women. And so uh, against the, the, the desires and the, the wishes of his parents, he goes and he, and he finds himself a wife among the Philistines. Well, you kind of know the story and, and the story of Samson and Delilah. Uh, and instead of finding a godly woman, he marries uh, and, and teams up with a prostitute. And, uh, and, and so as he was going over there and as he's going about his business, uh, he is fighting the enemy and, and, uh, and he's thirsty one day. And he's at a point where he, he is about to die because he's so dehydrated. And in Judges 15, it says, but God, he opened up a hollow place and there was a jaw and their water came out of that jaw and, uh, and, and, and Samson got a drink. And the spirit came upon him again, and he revived. And he actually came up with the name of that place, which means God will provide. And we see that God resurrects Samson, but then he does it again at the end of his life. It's kind of a sad story. I wish I had more time to develop the story of Samson, but he became captured by the Philistines. They gouged out his eyes. He became a prisoner. They made fun of him, and the glory of God had departed from Samson, and he didn't even realize it when they came and captured him. You know, that's the sad thing about the losing the glory of God. Uh, you can think you got the power of God resting upon you, and it can be gone, and you don't realize it's gone. Well, Samson is now an old man, as we fast forward the story, and he cries out to the Lord. He said, Lord, would you once again restore your glory in me? Allow me to get my strength back just one more time. And God honored that request. It was another but God moment, but God heard Samson's cry, and God replied to him, and Samson was taken to the great cathedral, the temple where a sporting event was, was going on, and he, and he said to his aide, would you, would you leave me over here by the, by the, the, the post, the columns of this Colosseum, and, and I want to lean up against it. And so he got in between two of these humongous Post and, and at the right moment when the glory of God came upon him, 
He pushed those columns down. And the Bible says that more people died in his death than were killed in his life. Now, we know that Samson killed well over a thousand people while he was living. So Samson, when he knocked down these these columns and the the Colosseum fell, probably 2,000 people perished. Now, I want you to know something. God wants to reveal himself to you. So I want to ask you to join me tomorrow as we finish up uh, this study on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to be sharing with you tomorrow what is involved in my salvation and what are the four steps that I need to go through in order to spiritually grow. So I hope that you will join me tomorrow. Now, if you need any help in any way, if I can pray for you, if you have any questions about the Bible, please feel free to give me a call, 757-421-7500, or you can shoot me an email. We have an email set up just for this broadcast, and it's onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. Spell the word O-N-E, hopeforyourheart at gmail.com. Shoot me an email, and I'll get back to you just as soon as I can. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. We're praying for you, thanking the Lord for all that He's doing in your life, and I'm praying that you'll be safe as you're driving home today. I hope that you join us tomorrow. If you need a place to worship, why don't you come on and worship with us on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 1030 at Hickory Ridge Community Church. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, In Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.